What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here, back with another episode, man. And week one is in the books now, and or week zero is in the books, and we're on to week one. Um, I wanted to do this live stream last night after the game, but as you guys know, uh, three rain delays in Howard versus Alabama State, and that game kicked off at like 6 or 7 p.m. and did not get called until... I think I think the final the official final time it was decided that they were going to call the game was 1:18 Eastern time and uh that interview you guys saw with Eddie Robinson Jr and Demetrius Davis uh listen th that thing was recorded at like two o'clock in the morning in the tunnel underneath the stadium right outside the locker room for um Alabama State so it was a wild day man I mean the fact that right before kickoff, Things, things couldn't get going due to lightning in the area. Then they stopped the game mid-first quarter, and then they stopped the game again late in the fourth quarter, man, about two and a half minutes left, Howard in Alabama State territory. And if you were there, there was no way they were going to get that game in uh, yesterday night. I mean, being in the press box, uh, there was lightning I mean, around the stadium all game long. It just happened to be heat heat lightning and not hitting the ground. But as soon as it got bad later that night, uh, I, I think me, I was sitting next to the draft HBCU guys, G and everyone. And, and I think we, we all knew that if they didn't get this game rolling, it, it probably wasn't going to get finished. And I understand where Howard was coming from in terms of not wanting to concede that game. Because when you look at it, it's 23-13, about two minutes left. They're in Alabama State territory. All they need is a field goal to make it a one-score game. Or if you get a touchdown, man, it's a three-point game at that point. And Howard had all three timeouts with the chance to stop Alabama State, get the ball back, and go for the win. So I completely understand where Larry Scott and this Howard team was coming from on trying to wait as long as humanly possible to get that game in, man. But I felt bad for the guys. We were all sitting in the press box, the press box's media <clears throat> wondering, how do you keep your guys ready for that long, man? I mean, you got to remember the warm up started at like four thirty, five o'clock, and these guys couldn't get out of their uniforms and, and couldn't relax until almost two o'clock in the morning. So I want to give a shout out to all the coaches, all the players, man, because if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know how hard it is to keep your body ready and keep your mind focused for that long of a time. And I mean, I could not imagine, I know the teams, I mean, didn't get out there till I, I think it was, it was close to almost three o'clock in the morning, man. So shout out to them. I didn't get back to the hotel. I stayed um, in a hotel outside the city. Man, I didn't get back to my hotel till after 3 a.m. So, man, so make sure to go check out our website. Um, for the latest updates on all the FCS games, we have an interview with Eddie Robinson Jr. post game. That, like, and I understand I labeled it the post game press conference. They technically canceled it. It was me. It was um. It was Stephen Gaither from HBCU Game Day. It was Ken Rashad from HBCU Sports, and it was a pair of guys from MVMT Sports. My guy Rick and a camera guy. We were the only media, and Stan Beckton from Incidentplay.com. We were the only media out there that really waited around to try to do these interviews, and so. That was like the most unofficial press conference of all time, man. But it was a great experience. I got to meet a lot of great people. But, you know, look, it was a big weekend of 
FCS football for week zero. We had a bunch of different games just to kind of run through some of the scores real quick before we kind of get into what happened. Austin P gave Western Kentucky an absolute run for their money, man. Listen, I, I didn't give Austin P much of a shot. They lose their top three defensive backs last from last season to either the draft or the transfer portal. And you're facing a Western Kentucky team that under with, with uh, Bailey Zappi, who's now with the Patriots. They were the number one passing offense team in the entire country at the FBS level or any level and on top of that we're the second highest scoring team in the country last year and Austin P with a completely revamped defense went in there and gave them a run for their money late into the fourth quarter 38-27 win for Western Kentucky over Austin P and now I am extremely excited to see how does Alabama A&M match up with Austin P in week three? This Austin P team looked very good for a team that did not have a lot of continuity returning for that team. And listen, Dre McCray is a problem at the wide receiver spot, an absolute problem. I believe he had two touchdowns in one. He, he took a screen pass and broke it like 50 yards, and Western Kentucky had zero answer for McCray. We are going to find a lot out about Alabama A&M's revamped secondary when Austin P comes to town because Dre McCray and that wide receiving core is no joke, and they proved it this weekend against Western Kentucky, man. Listen. Idaho State took the L against UNLV, man. Not much to say there. It, Idaho State has a lot of new pieces coming in, a first-year head coach. Even though UNLV got knocked off last season over time by Eastern Washington, Idaho State was picked at the bottom of the big sky. I didn't really give them um, much of a shot there, but a, but a 52-21 loss. Another one, Florida State beating Duquesne 47-7. Man, listen, Duquesne plays in the NEC. They're going to give Sacred Heart a run for their money, but they weren't going to go in there and beat Florida State. A big difference between Duquesne and Jacksonville State from last year. Now, a big one, man. Listen, a big game for Mercer this weekend 63 to 13 they set records in the passing game the rushing game i just want to give y'all a, a a stat that was the most insane first quarter stat i've ever seen the starting running back for mercer had two carries for 124 yards and two touchdowns to start the game his first two carries he broke one play touchdowns and was averaging like 60 something yards per carry until the second half Mercer looks like the real deal, man. I had them in my top 20. I think they're going to compete for the SoCon, and they went in there against Moorhead State and handled business, man. 63 points. They go to Jordan Hare next week to play, you know, my, my alma mater in Auburn. They just announced TJ Finley today as the starting quarterback. I'm going to be very interested to see how Mercer stacks up against Auburn next week because they looked extremely impressive this weekend. Now, the three games that I think everyone knew we were going to talk about in depth here. We got to talk FAMU, UNC, Jacksonville State stomping a mud hole through Stephen F. Austin and Alabama State Howard. So we're going to start with FAMU, man. This is a game that I, I didn't think I was going to have a chance to watch yesterday, but due to the rain delay, we got to watch it in the press box or at least you know, almost three quarters of it uh, with the Alabama State game and Howard game being delayed. But I, I get it. There's some people who are who are not necessarily impressed, and there's some people that are, I think are overly impressed. I think there's extremes at both ends, but I'm going to take the middle ground here. It was a 56-24 victory for UNC. 
But the number one thing that I was that I was impressed about is the game plan for Willie Simmons and how he went into that game. And really and truly, I I was surprised that they were able to have as much success as they did against the ones against UNC. UNC kept their starters in a lot longer than I thought they were. Now, Tony Grimes, the five-star corner, did get injured in, in um, the first quarter, but they were going up against Storm Duck and a lot of those starters, and Jeremy Musa and Xavier Smith were making plays against that first-team defense. I thought Willie Simmons did a great job. He knew the number one thing you do when you're playing an FCS opponent is you don't want to get beat deep he knew there were going to be opportunities underneath and that's where x and sharid can make a living and he allowed jeremy musa just to walk them down the field slowly but efficiently and the number and like i said i wasn't going to look at the box score really for jeremy musa in this game i said it on the round table i said it on my live show the box score isn't going to tell the story here about who the better quarterback was for me I, I thought he played excellent, man. When when you go out there, and even after you throw a pick, you come back and lead that team down inside, down inside UNC territory for a scoring drive. He stayed calm under pressure, even though the, the um, UNC really didn't bring a lot of blitzes. A makeshift offensive line should have been dominated with how much talent UNC has on paper on that defensive line. And the, the and that offensive line experienced two injuries, man. I didn't think they were going to be able to overcome two injuries on the offensive line. We'll see how healthy they are coming into next week but i was extremely impressed with just the demeanor of musa in the pocket and his leadership ability on the sidelines and being able to command that offense efficiently through multiple quarters he, sh he showed I, in my opinion he showed why he he has a higher upside in my opinion that rashawn mckay had and i still think mckay is not a bad quarterback man i just think musa has some intangibles and has some talent that i, I just don't think any of the other guys in that qb room have and Listen, I understand people are going to are, are going to just say the UNC defense really didn't show a lot, which is true. They ran a basic they ran a basic scheme, but even the, regardless of that, man, you still could fam you could have went in there and just been sh shaken up. Let's be honest, you lose BJ Bowler, you lose Isaiah Land, you lose of 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 twenty five different guys, and. I didn't know if they would score three times. I'm going to be honest with you, man. When I heard the all those players were out, I didn't think they were going to hit 14 points. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not going to sit here and act like I saw this coming. And then I'm going to be, I'll, I'll be real. I don't think anyone who said they saw this coming for FAMU is telling you the truth. Because if anything, any football knowledge in the world would suggest that this game was going to get out of hand and get out of hand fast, especially when you add some of the injuries that FAMU had during the game, and regardless of who went down, who came in and who went out, they were still able to put together consistent drives and the defense was able to get some stops here and there. Now, the one thing, though, is I think that secondary to be successful throughout the SWAC when when things start to really ramp up in competition, they got to get B.J. Bowler back. The, the depth, I don't know, is as, it, it, it is as deep as it needs to be to really compete in the SWAC. I think there were a few times where the where B.J. Bowler would have been that guy got beat and they were going up against some great wide receivers. Josh Downs and them are no scrubs. But to me, when you go up against the Jackson state and Alabama A&M or a Southern or whoever you have to got, you have to have BJ Bowler back there. 
that that's that's non-negotiable. And I know Jordan Moore, the the former four-star transfer, didn't play at safety either. You need him too. The safety spot took a, a major step back from what it was last year. But I do want to say, man, the coaching staff deserves all the credit in the world. And I don't know when the offer's coming. I don't know if Willie Simmons is going to get the offer next year. I don't know if he's going to get it in two, three years. Willie Simmons, whenever he gets that big time offer, you can go back and look. It was it, it, this is one of the games that is going to get pointed to as his coming out party and his and I would say his um his his money making um a bit like when we say this was a money making game for Isaiah Land and BJ Bowler that they missed, this was a money making game for Willie Simmons. And now when when he gets to go renegotiate that contract, he's gonna he's gonna walk in there and say, look at that tape. I didn't have 25 players. I didn't have arguably my two best players on the field. And I competed for two and a half, three quarters with an ACC team that really and truly, I mean, what? They they were almost 40 scholarships above what we had on the field there. And we're in a hostile environment. And like it it just everything went right for that coaching staff, man. And I got to give them credit because they could have went out there and folded. And I, I think a lot of us thought they were going to go out there and fold. And I, I was impressed, man. And the, one of the two of the other players I want to talk about, Terrell Jennings is the real deal, man. That hit he put on the defensive back was nasty, man. I, I think that kid might be out next week, man, because I don't think he knew where he was after he got hit by Terrell Jennings. He runs with nasty intentions. And I mentioned when I jumped on Ken Clark's show a few days, uh, uh, probably a few weeks ago, the reason I like Jennings so much is as a former O-lineman, I don't like small backs that can just get gr- grabbed by one hand by their jersey and you get to pull them down. Terrell Jennings, you better wrap him up and you better hope you have some help coming from somewhere else because you're not going to be able to tackle him one-on-one. And I loved what he brought to the table, man. I was extremely impressed with, with Terrell Jennings. And I think he is going to be a key over these next few games as – um, in my over these next few games, as Musa continues to grow, and the other one is Isaiah Major at the linebacker spot. I said that I thought he had the ability to be really special this season, and even though you know he might have missed a play or two here or there, his athleticism, I I, I love it, man. His athleticism. His athleticism is the number one thing FAMU was missing last season. When you go back and watch the film in that Southeastern Louisiana game, listen, they, they didn't cover running backs out of the backfield. They didn't cover the tight ends well. And and that is what Isaiah Major is going to help with because he can hang in terms of athletic-wise. athletic, athletic wise, He can hang with any running back, any tight end that, that you put him up against. He has that type of speed, that agility, that hip movement. His technique is flawless at the linebacker spot. I really like Isaiah Major. And that was a that's a huge upgrade from what FAMU had last year at the linebacker spot. So there was a lot of bright spots for FAMU, man, though. The only thing is I think – I want to hold out judgment on the entire team and what to expect from FAMU until this team's completely healthy. In my opinion, I need to see them fully healthy before I make a real judgment of their potential. Because, yes, it's it's one thing to go out there this week and and play with the heart and the determination and, and the passion that they did. And it's different once that depth starts to catch up with you throughout the season. So I need to know how long all these players are going to be out. I need to know if this team's going to be able to respond and how long some of those players who potentially went down with injuries 
I, I want to know how long that they're potentially out as well. So next week's going to be a big game. And I think this was the best thing for the swag. And if you're a Jackson State fan, if you're a FAMU fan, this was huge because there was a a weird damper put on the game next week where people, at least in my opinion that I talked to, weren't as excited as they potentially were going to be due to the potential absence of Isaiah Lamb, B.J. Bowler, and some of those top players. But now that Musa went out there and put out put on a show against UNC, there's a lot of people who are really excited to see how he fares against a very, very talented Jackson State secondary and how this offensive line fares against a talented Jackson State defensive line. There's so many storylines to talk about this week, and I'm excited to preview that game and be able to cover it. And I, I, I really do think FAMU had, had a very impressive performance, regardless if they lost or, or whatever you want to say. This was an impressive performance for, fam, for FAMU, in my opinion. So uh, let me get to some of your comments, man, before we uh, before we get to that, man, uh, Miss Body, man. Thank you for coming. Thank you for becoming a member. I, I definitely appreciate you. UNC took off in the fourth qu- quarter. Other than that, FAMU and UNC game was close. I agree. Um, I, I think that in the fourth quarter, Walter, that's where you saw the depth really start to catch up to FAMU. It's so hard when, you know, let's say, OK, so I've heard I heard it was eight offensive linemen they brought. You had two go down with injury. So you were down to six offensive linemen. They took Gentle Hunt out in the first quarter. I don't know what the depth was in in terms of defensive line, and that's a position where you want to have a lot of depth and be able to rotate, especially in a game like this. So I just think the depth caught up to them late in the game. And I told G, uh, my guy from Draft HBCU, who was sitting next to me in the press box, after the first quarter, I didn't need to see anything else. The fact in the first quarter that it was 14 to 7 and Musa looked like he did, and your team responded to adversity like they did, it was an A plus performance for FAMU. I didn't care what happened after that first 15 minutes. That was a that was that was everything and more you could ask for from FAMU. And so that's kind of where I stand on it, man. Let's see. Um I watched the game. FAMU should feel good about the performance, but you lost by 30. FAMU showed heart, and Coach Simmons kept those guys focused. If we get our guys back, watch out. I agree. I, I, Mr. Campbell, I don't know. Listen, because I've, I've gotten a multiple DMs about the NCAA process to get guys back eligible. I don't want to speak exactly on it on a show because I don't know what all the issues are. It depends on whether it's um, academic qualifying. It depends on if it's progress to degree. It, it's so many different things, transfer credits, all that. It, it depends on the situation. And so I don't want to speak on that, but if FAMU can get fully healthy and get all their guys back for next week or, or in, in the coming weeks, FAMU is going to be a team to deal with. And I think then we'll really get to see what the impact is that Musa could have on the game when this team is fully healthy and his defense isn't out there giving up. I think they gave up a lot of rushing yards, um, but but I'm excited to see Mr. Campbell. He was super calm in the pocket. The pocket presence is, is there, man. FAMU fought nothing to hang their heads about. I, I agree. Musa did something McCain never did, and that was throw the ball downfield and run when the opportunity was there. thousand percent agree. The atmosphere was wild. It didn't rattle them. Isaiah Lance said he ain't going to get to come back just yet on Twitter. Man, I'm hoping he gets that worked out, man. I really, really do. I'm hoping he gets that worked out as, as soon as possible, man. Me personally, I believe if they weren't 25 players short to score, it would be a lot closer. I agree there. Man, shout out to my guys off the ball network, man. Shout out to the press here. Fam, you comp- uh, competed, man. Kudos to the coaching staff. I, I definitely agree. Man, appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you for tuning in. 
Uh, yes, Willie Simmons put on a show last night. Oh, yeah, I know Couch Coach was freaking out, man. If y'all don't know, Couch Coach is a huge UNC fan. Let's see, Willie Simmons made me a fan yesterday. I do not believe Robinson and the board of directors at FAMU understood the significance of what Simmons was able to accomplish. It Listen, if, if FAMU's administration does not see the value in Willie Simmons, I don't know what to tell you because there's nothing else Willie Simmons could do at this point to show you that he's worth every penny that FAMU's paying him and that he's definitely worth more. He is one of the top coaches at this level, and it is only, and I, I hate to say it, it is only a matter of time before he gets an offer he can't refuse, man. He is going to be coaching at the next level one day, and I, I really do believe that. Willie Simmons may be a fan of his. See, according to Matt Brown, there were only three players missing from the two deep after the eligibility stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I, I, that's what the, that's what I heard, Luke. But man, there were um, there were a few guys I did see on the field, Luke. So what I did hear from one of the fam you guys I talked to is that there were so they were missing twenty five players due to eligibility, but there were also some guys who were missing due to injury or precautionary. Things So there could have been some starters who didn't play due to things other than eligibility. And I'm interested to see what the exact breakdown is. And I think we'll know more this upcoming week against Jackson State about who's out long term and who is just being held out due to precautionary things or potentially even short term eligibility issues. Hey, appreciate you, Coach Green, for becoming a member, man. Definitely appreciate that. That might have been their three best players, though. I agree. I definitely agree with that. If all they got is Musa, then what does that say about the rest of the team? I don't think all they have is um, I don't think all they have is Musa. Personally, I, I mean Xavier's Xavier and Sharid are legit. Terrell Jennings is legit. The offensive line didn't perform bad, man. Jalen Goss is is a stud there um, on the offensive line as well. Uh, Gentle Hunt is a is really really good. Isaiah Major is really good. Kendall Bowler is, is still a problem. Like I don't think it's all I don't think it's all Musa. Uh, Spence, just in, just in terms of me, look, man, UNC defense trash. <laughs> How two of their players were BJ Bowler and Isaiah Lynn. That's your two best players. I, man, the fact that, okay, before we get off the eligibility thing and move on to one of these next games, the fact that, the, even, okay, I understand the understaffing and, and everything like that, but the fact that no one checked, nobody, no one checked that your two best players on the entire team potentially were eligible is unforgivable, man. Heads have to roll for that. That the fact that the two guys who needed this game the most couldn't play because of because no one checked and made sure they were eligible is something that I, 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 I can't even understand. The fact that your two best players and the two players that needed this game the most is absolutely ridiculous, man. And that is unforgivable. And someone has to lose their job for that. I'm sorry. It, it is ridiculous. Do you think Jacksonville will be ranked in the top 25? So um, so Jackson, Jacksonville State um, Hollywood will potentially be ranked in Sam Herter's Hero uh, Sports Top 25 because uh, Sam Herter has his own thing and just releases his own. But in the FCS Stats Perform poll, they are not eligible to be ranked. Um, they're not eligible to be ranked. Neither is Sam Houston because right now they're playing with 85 scholarships in their transition year, which is why they can't. They um, 
that they can't win the conference, they can't make the playoffs, and they're not going to be able to be ranked. Now, the players can still win individual awards and All-American awards and All-Conference awards, but the teams in general cannot be ranked due to the due to the voting committee deciding that they had an unfair advantage because they had 20-something extra scholarships. So Sam Herter might slide Jacksonville State in the top 25 because I believe he included Sam Houston, but um, the main poll will not include them. They're not eligible. Um, let's see. The the minute UNC walked up to the wide receivers late, Musa struggled, and that was three possessions before McKay came in. Uh, listen, I, I, that is something. I, so I wouldn't. That's why I say don't put all the stock into what happened yesterday, because the game plan that Jackson State's walking out with is going to be a lot more complex and a lot more aggressive than what UNC ran yesterday. But still, but still, man, I still think it was impressive the way they responded to adversity. But I do agree, the defensive game plan is going to next week is going to be a much bigger test for Musa than what he saw this week. Musa is on his way to becoming the best QB in the swag. I love it. <laughs> Let's see. Grades uh, grades were not an issue for either. Yeah, that's what I heard, Mr. Bowler. So, man, um, j- just for me to you, I, I, I hope whoever made the – made the mistake in administration, man, for all these guys. I hope that person is definitely held accountable, man. I'm ready to see BJ and Isaiah and some of these guys get back on the field. So um, um, definitely looking forward to that. Let's see. Um, Wait, I saw a comment here. Yeah, they lost two O-linemen yesterday. The fact that they lost two O-linemen, if FAMU comes in there with six, seven offensive linemen against Jackson State, I'm telling you it's going to catch up to them eventually. Uh, you you never know, man, and I, that's the one thing I'm worried about, and that's why I was like, man, you have to get, get out of there as healthy as possible, and it um it definitely sucks that that happened, man. I I, I hate that. UNC have one wide receiver, Josh Downs. Uh, JSU has six. <laughs> oh man, I see Musso get the ball out of his hands fast. All right, so let's let's get to this other game, man, and then we're going to talk about the Swag Miak Challenge, which I was at, and I have a lot of thoughts on. But Jacksonville State, Stephen F. Austin, and listen, this game, okay, uh, uh, this is going to be this is probably going to shock some people. This game might have shocked me more than what happened in the FAMU game. I'm just going to be honest. Look, what happened this weekend? To, to Stephen F. Austin was absolutely mind-blowing to me. Now, I want to put something in perspective. Stephen F. Austin had the number 18 rush defense last season and returned everybody but a defensive tackle. It, it was uh, Rayshard Nichols, I think, is the only person on that starting D-line that left. Man, they gave up 285 rushing yards to Jacksonville State and that game got called with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. So they they had an entire quarter to they were going to hit 300 rushing yards. I just I just I'm just going to say that there. They are they would have put up 300 rushing yards on Stephen F Austin yesterday and they did it one dimensional too. The quarterbacks could not throw the football. And so that's what shocked me the most is that you have a one-dimensional team, man. Listen, uh, Zion Webb played decent. I'll, I'll say that. He played decent in the run game. I think he had 59 yards rushing and three rushing touchdowns. But in terms of passing, the Jacksonville State quarterbacks threw for 199 yards and a pick. 
nine for 15, 160 for Webb, and two for four for 39 yards for McLaughlin. And Webb had a Webb had an interception early in the game. I mean, what what, what did you want, man, Stephen F. Austin? This this was not the performance they wanted. And I understand, look, they have um 85 scholarships and everything like that. And if Stephen F. Austin comes out and blows out all corn next week and goes on and beats Sam Houston state or wins the WAC or whatever, that's great. But the fact that I just want to put this in perspective, they have 85 scholarships, but Jacksonville state really struggled the past few years at the FCS level. Like this isn't a, this isn't a North Dakota state. This isn't South Dakota state, Montana, Montana state, any of these top teams, man, Jacksonville State was not on that level. And even if they were eligible to be ranked, Jacksonville State probably is not in the top 25. And if they are, they're like 23 to 25, possibly one of those honorable mentions or just receiving vote teams. Man, I I don't know what to say, man. Listen, Lewis and LaRoche combined for 190 yards and averaged eight and a half yards per carry as a duo. Lewis, LaRoche, Webb, and Jackson. I mean, they rotated so many people and they just continually dominated Stephen F. Austin. And the offensive line for Jacksonville State is good, man. They landed the five-star Clay Webb at center at center and everything. Uh, listen, this this was an impressive performance for Jacksonville State. Now, Trey Self to me has to play better, man. This is this is the time where that Trey Self had an outstanding year, was an all-conference selection, and potentially could have been a preseason FCS All-American selection based on the year he had last year. For him to come out, though, complete less than 50% of his passes, only two touchdowns for one interception, and not throw for 150 yards, even though the game was called early, man, that's unacceptable, man. Miles Reed tried to do his best, but they just didn't have the rotation of running backs and they weren't able to run the ball once things got out of hand and it really forced them to become one-dimensional as an offense. And Xavier Gibson did his thing, man. He's he's now the Stephen F. Austin leading all-time receiver in terms of receiving yards, but they just didn't have it yesterday, man. The offensive line looked, I, I would say they, they looked, unorganized and undisciplined and Stephen F. Austin just shot themselves in the foot early in the game. They should have jumped up on Jacksonville state, man, forcing turnovers. They got the ball down inside the red zone, got stopped on fourth down. Stephen F. Austin just didn't do enough for me. And they were extremely disappointing. If I was disappointed by anybody this weekend, Stephen F. Austin's performance was inexcusable. In my opinion, this, this was ridiculous. And now that you're coming into this week, and you got and you're down 0-1. And I'm just gonna say this: they can't afford to lose an out-of-conference game. The only game they can afford to lose is their is their FBS game or potentially a Sam Houston State game. If they lose anything more than that, the playoffs are looking very bleak due to some due to their strength of schedule. So now you have to go on the road to Alcorn on the reservation where it's not going to be easy to win. It's going to be it's going to be a physical game. We know what we know what a Fred McNair team is going to bring to the table. And on top of that, we just saw you get give up almost 300 yards rushing to Jacksonville State, and you're coming to face an Alcorn State team that is like three or four deep at the running back spot. If you don't fix that run defense, Alcorn State is going to run this football down your throat. And I think it's going to be interesting because, listen, Jacksonville State has a giant – has has a giant um, offensive line, and I don't think Alcorn has that size. 
But if Alcorn can play sound, fundamental football on the offensive line and allow Nico Duffy and and I think the transfer Howard to really find some room on the, against the Stephen F. Austin defense, man, it could get very, very interesting in Lorman next week. And I, I'll be at that game. I'll be covering that game in person just like I was uh, at the Miax Whack Challenge this weekend. But, man, but the one thing I will say, uh, the one thing I will say is this might have been as good as it could have been for Alcorn because now you know that they can't stop the run and it kind of plays into your hand. Now Stephen F. Austin isn't coming isn't coming in to tiptoeing or or coming in on a high and might overlook Alcorn State. If Stephen F. Austin is coming in in a must-win situation now, so you are going to get the most focused, pissed-off Stephen F. Austin you were going to get I mean, that that you could possibly get, especially getting beat like they did. So I'm going to be interested to see how Stephen F. Austin's, uh, Austin responds to this loss. Because if you guys remember, they had – I've said it on the on the pregame show or not the, the, the preview. They lost four games last year by less than 20 total points. So they lost this game by, all, by like uh, way more than – they lost all their games combined last season. And so uh, – this this is going to be um this is going to be an interesting game. It's really going to come down to one if Alcorn State's offensive line can establish the line of scrimmage similar to how Jacksonville State did, and also whether that secondary for Alcorn State and that front seven can get after Trey Self and they can find a way to shut down Xavier Gibson. The last SWAC team Xavier Gibson played it was Mississippi Valley State last season, and he had three catches for two touchdowns and also if I'm not mistaken returned a punt I just I repeat two uh, he had three catches for two touchdowns and I believe he returned a punt so Alcorn State is going to have to find a way to shut down Xavier Gibson but I'm excited for that game we're going to do a full preview on the show for that game and um I'll be in I'll be in Lorman for that game should be on the sidelines and I'm really really excited for that game but let me get to some of y'all's comments before we get to the swag uh Miak challenge. <clears throat> Let's see here. Uh, Jacksonville State scored two touchdowns before the half in two and a half minutes after that game. Yeah, once the momentum shifted, Mike, there was nothing. I mean, Stephen F. Austin looked like they just they got smacked in the face and they didn't know how to respond. And that's that's a problem. Um, finisher. No, um, I talked about Austin. I talked a little bit about Austin P. At the beginning, finisher. I don't know if you got in late. That was one of the first games I talked about. Man, Dre McCray and Austin P. Put up a hell of a performance. Um, Rich Rod offense was working. Um, ULM couldn't do what he did last year. <laughs> Abel, you think JSU should be super worried about FAMU? Um, I mean, listen, there, I don't think Jackson State can overlook anyone on their schedule, but I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how healthy and how many players come back for FAMU. Stephen F. Austin will not blow out all corn. The same off fast pace uh, will run down the defensive line, plus, some DVs don't have the speed to keep up. After their performance, do you think Jackson State will dominate in the Sun Belt? So they're going to the CUSA, Aaron. Uh, James Madison went to the Sun Belt. I still think the transition is going to be tough, Aaron, because beating Stephen F. Austin is a lot different than going to the CUSA and playing a UAB or one of those top teams in the CUSA. I think they can be somewhere in the middle of the pack early, but I still think even the best move-ups to the FBS level take a year or two, so I think it's going to, still going to take some time for Jacksonville State to, to compete in the CUSA. Let's see, if Stephen F. Austin goes 7-4, the playoff found. It's going to be tough, Lawrence. 
their uh their their strength of schedule is um not great. So I think it depends on those losses. I mean, I, I think I, I really think they they can't lose more than three games, Lawrence. I think you you probably can lose Jacksonville State. You can lose to Sam Houston and uh. Is it Louisiana Tech they play? You can possibly lose those three, those three games, but you got to win out the rest. And so I don't think they have a lot of movement now, especially the way they got beat this weekend. It was 100 degrees on the football field, and Stephen F. Austin was sucking wind at the start of the third quarter. Yeah, they did not They did not look in game shape, man. They really didn't. Uh, yeah, Coach Green, I just broke that down, but um, I'm excited for it. I think this uh, this could bode well for Alcorn State, especially if they're able to establish the run, because you saw what happened when Jacksonville State got rolling. I, I'm ext- I was excited. Now, listen, one don't play Jack State Week One. There you go. That that's a good. <laughs> that might be a that might be a good one. UAB is going to wax Alabama A and M. Austin P play better than Stephen F. Austin. I definitely agree with that. I agree, but App is a lot better. Than JSU, um, Stephen F. Austin has a has a solid fan base. Coach Green, I've never been to one of their games yet, but um, I'll definitely let you know what the turnout potentially could be in Lorman. But I don't think Stephen F. Austin's super far, and so um, I, I'm going to be excited to see how uh, how they show up there. Alcorn fans have to pack the stadium. What do you think of Nebraska's? I haven't seen it yet. So I was driving to Atlanta um, during that game. I listened to it on the radio. I listened to that in the Austin P game on the radio, but I heard it was bad. Uh, I heard it was really bad, man. I, I'm going to go check out the video though when um when I get done with the show. Uh, no. Um, from what I've heard, there's going to be there's there, there are some injury issues at some positions for Alabama A&M. I think if they can just keep it within 20 men, I think that would be an outstanding game. But I don't I, I don't love their chances to upset UAB. But with Bill Clark stepping away, I'm really interested to see what that UAB team looks like. But they still have all the talent from that team. It's going to be tough, man. When you have, what was it, like almost 50 transfers come in, it's so hard to get chemistry early. But I, I'm hoping they can make it competitive, but I don't like their chances to pull the upset personally. Mercer FAMU first round, hopefully. I would love to see that, man. Per, I would love to see Mercer FAMU, but really and truly, I would love to see North Carolina A&T FAMU or Tennessee State FAMU in the first round if that happened. That, that, that game would be insane, man. UAB smacked Jacksonville State 31-0 last year. The transition will be tough for them. Thank you, EA. I, f- I forgot about that. But, yeah, the- Jacksonville State didn't even look like they belonged on the field with UAB last year. It, it-, it was a nasty game for them. Uh, let's see. Travis Hunter was a five-star corner. Let's see. Swag versus FCS 1-0. That's true. Okay, let's get to that game, man. Let's get to that game. Swag Miak challenge, man. Alabama State pulls out the 23 to 13 win and I just want to say one the attendance was second highest in the history of this game it was like 21,000 even with the three rain delays now you know progressively after each rain delay it kind of thinned out but right before kickoff if you guys remember the rain delay happened right at the kickoff man I mean those teams were getting ready to go out there and kick this ball off I'll just say this and I'll put it I'll put it on my Twitter Alabama State fans props to you Alabama State fans showed up when I say listen so the press box was on the south side and below us it was it it was gold and black man that that was the colors down there man everybody showed up for them Howard had a nice turnout but man Alabama State 
packed um packed it out I, I was impressed and you know it was tough because that, that that last rain delay man happened i think officially that rain delay happened at almost one o'clock in the morning so i get that people had to leave trust me there were some people in the press box that left um as soon as that uh rain delay was was announced and so i, I don't blame the fans and listen when i say it poured that first rain delay man it it storm man and also i mean it, it it was bad and also it, it that was the longest rain delay ever man i i was dying in the press box man i, I didn't bring any water i didn't eat I, I was dying up there but you know it, great turnout that's the first thing and the second thing man we got to talk about the players of the game um mvp of course uh demetrius davis uh yes they called the game so they they Called a stoppage with two minutes left. Sonic Boom and Howard didn't want to call the game because when, when they when the when the final rain delay was announced, there was about two minutes left. Howard was inside Alabama State's. Um, Howard was inside Alabama State's forty, and it, they they kept going. And about one thirty in the morning, almost one thirty in the morning, they decided to call the game. So it's funny. The two biggest FCS games of the weekend: um, Jacksonville State, Stephen F. Austin. The game didn't finish. It was called with 12 minutes left in the fourth. And the Miak Swack Challenge, Howard, Alabama State, did not finish either. It got called with like 212 or 213 left on the clock, man. So neither of the biggest FCS games this weekend finished. So um, it, it, that's interesting. I don't know when's the last time that happened. And, I mean, there were games from New Mexico to to the to the east coast that were all in lightning delays at one point it it was insane man um but let's let's talk about d davis man he was he was voted mvp of the game um and i, I was impressed with him i'll say this i don't know if it came across on tv i haven't got to watch the tv version yet um personally but in person listen he lived up to everything. I mean, he to he had 184 84 yards passing, one passing touchdown, also rushed for 37 yards as well. And the number one thing um that I, I saw from him was his pocket presence. And when there was one play, it was in the first half, if I remember right. They brought a blitz from the backside. It was either it was either the safety or the slot corner, and they he came flying off the edge, man. And D. Davis is facing the other way, and without looking, man, he broke it back around the defensive back, just like he felt him coming, man. He he heard the footsteps, and just pivoted with the ball in his hand and got out of the way and made a play out play out of it. I, I was so impressed with his athleticism and meant just his ability to get out of the pocket and get out of trouble and always keep his eyes downfield to make plays. And there were a few times where if they don't have D Davis in the backfield, it turns into a sack or turns into a negative play. And really and truly he, he kept some drives going. Now the bad for him is he has to, he has to come down. He has to calm down in the pocket sometimes. And what happens when you have a guy like this, that's a gamer and a playmaker and never wants to give up on the play is he tries to do so much. He tries to do way too much at times that fumble 
unacceptable, man. If they got you wrapped up like that, tuck the ball and get down and take the sack and, and play another down. Instead, he tries to get rid of the football, gets caught on the arm, he fumbles, and Howard gets great field position and has a chance to score. Now, luckily, Howard's off. We'll get to Howard's offense here in a minute. They struggle to, to, to put together points on that drive. The interception, man, you, you can't – it really wasn't his fault, but it looked like it just bounced off the wide receiver and it, and it was a tip ball interception. But that, that fumble play is just the epitome of trying to do too much at certain times. And when you face good defenses – Sometimes that's going to cost you, and there's teams in the swag that if you give them that that field position or that opportunity, they're going to turn that into points, and that will cost you games in crucial situations. So um, I, I was really impressed with him, man. The deep ball, that one to Chenault, the transfer wide receiver from, I think, Colorado, his brother, of course, in the NFL, was a beautiful man. And I, I, I was really – I was really impressed with Crawley too coming in in his limited action and being able to hit a huge deep pass, man, like 60 something yards to really set up the go ahead touchdown for that game. And, you know, of course, if you watched our Eddie Robinson interview, um, you already know this. He said that D was experiencing some cramps early, and that's why Crawley kind of got into the rotation. I'm going to be interested to see if they bring call. Crawley in is like kind of a change of pace guy and and that way you don't know if they're running or passing because he can do both and I think Crawley is a great quarterback I just think when you bring in a guy the caliber D Davis it just happens that he wins that he wins that job now for me man um, Ja'Cory Merritt is legit at the running back spot I I know you know the stats um, might not always reflect it to me I thought he had a chance to win MVP too, man. 55 yards rushing, a touchdown, and also was second on the team with 48 yards receiving, had that big 20-yard explosion out of the backfield from D. Davis. I I really – I was really impressed with Merritt and his ability to to just find room when he breaks out out of the backfield. And I think if they can establish the read option with Merritt and Davis – it could be a dangerous combination in the backfield for Alabama State. Now, um, you know, it's week zero. And so I know some people are going to look at the box score and everything and say, um, you know, what super impressive. But man, this week zero, nothing is going to be perfect here. I thought, I thought both, I thought at least Alabama State did what they were supposed to do, man. They found a way to go win the game. And on the defensive side of the ball for them, the one concern I have. And I do not believe the transfer from Sanford, the freshman All American, played um, Nelson Jordan. But they have to they have to figure out someone to go get the they go get the quarterback. When you look at some of the plays behind the line of scrimmage and some of the sacks that they got, it really was set up by the linebackers and, and safeties coming down into the box and making plays from sideline to sideline. They need a bona fide pass rusher to really cause some havoc in that front four, front three, whatever they decide to run. They need someone to be able to be an impact player up front. And that's the one question I have about that defense. But Bubba and the linebackers, Earshad Davis in the secondary, man, he's a problem. Earshad Davis was everywhere last night, man. He is, he is, like I said, I've said this repeatedly, man. He is one of my favorite players to watch, man, really and truly. Yeah, so Jordan Nelson played, but he, you know, he played sparingly, but I think he's the best. I think, I'll say this, uh, Jay, he's the best D lineman I think Alabama State has. He got in, what, he transferred in a little bit late. I really want him to get called up to speed, and um, I really wanted to see what he can do. But, man, that defensive line has potential. But last night, I, I one, 
we'll talk about Howard's own line. I think one side of Howard's own line is elite. The other side has some has some problems. But man, Earshot Davis and and that um in the safeties and the linebacking core that they are they're studs, man. They can play sideline to sideline. And 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 they they can they can go and uh, John said Adrian Maddox number fourteen is the best secondary player. It, it's going to be interesting now for Howard. Let's talk about Howard a little bit because you know there were some positives. And when I look at when I went when I kind of was looking back and, and we got the post game materials in the press box and I was kind of going through my notes I took during the game. The number one thing that stood out to me is how many opportunities the defense gave Howard to put the game away. They, there were so many opportunities for them to take two score leads and be able to kind of shift the momentum in their favor. And they were not able to execute in crucial situations. The interception from D Davis, the, the, the fumble that they caused from D Davis, the punt block that they got on special teams, man, those have to turn into points. And, and if you can convert those three turnovers to touchdowns, this game looks completely different, but they were not able to execute when they got into Alabama state territory. And I just, man, that was the biggest, what if for me is like, what happens if Quentin Williams is able to calm down and execute inside Alabama state territory? Cause they ran the ball so well down the field, man, they were able to, they were able to get chunk yardage. They were able to hit some short passes, but then it's, it's like, as soon as they crossed the 50, all hell broke loose. And then your kicker misses a chip shot field goal before halftime. And then you don't trust them. And so you go for it on fourth down and you get stopped. And so those are two other scoring opportunities that they miss. It's just when you when you force turnovers and you get inside your and you get in scoring position, you have to come away with points, regardless if it's three or seven. You have to come away with points. And Howard didn't do that. Now, the offensive line, um, the offensive line, the left side was good. Let me just say this, and I'm going. Um, I don't care if 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 no one agrees with me. I know some guys that I talked to in the press box, um, in the draft HBCU guys. We watched the film of of this after the game. An Akeem Dankwa is a problem at offensive tackle. He's number seventy seven, six eight three forty. Man, he was the left tackle. And this dude, in my opinion, is a top five offensive lineman in all of HBCU football. There were so many times where he would take the DN and just drive him all the way just out of the play. And when he got to the second level and got matched up on some linebackers and DBs, it was over. There was nothing you can do. And the guard next to him was the same way. Listen, that left side of the offensive line was absolutely dominating the defensive line of Alabama State, and they just would not capitalize on it. When you go back and look at, at, at most of their touchdowns that were on the ground or big plays, it was off the left side because Dankwa and that guard were absolutely wrecking shop over there. Now the now the right guard, he's got to go. I don't remember his name. I think it was number fifty. That dude had like three or four holding penalties. He he he, he got beat by a D tackle one time. I don't even know if he knew who he was going to be able to block. He got absolutely smacked around. And I know a lot of you guys asked me to kind of try to break down O-line play. Last night was the perfect example 
of you can have the most elite player or players, two or three players across your offensive line and one player not doing his job and not executing on the highest level and communicating can cost the entire offensive line and cause people who haven't played O-line just to say, oh, man, that offensive line is trash. But when you break it down position, you know, position by position, the left side was doing their job repeatedly. It was just they were getting no help from the other side, and it was making the entire offensive line look bad because Quentin Williams couldn't stay in the pocket and got happy feet, and then everyone is all screwed up on the offensive line. I want to say this because I've heard some people say the Howard O-line was trash. Negative. It, the offensive line played extremely well, and that's why they averaged four yards per carry, which was better than Alabama State. And Casey Hawthorne, Jared Hunter, and Ian Wheeler all had great games. Casey Hawthorne averaged like nine yards per carry. And on top of that, Jared and Ian Wheeler averaged five. I think they rushed the ball 31 times for 127 yards. They they have to they had to establish more of a run game. Quentin Williams threw thirty two times, man. He he seventeen for thirty two, one forty one, and two sacks. I don't know what happened with Quentin Williams. Now I, I watched some of his film last year. There were some bright spots and some and some ones that I thought he was going to be able to overcome, but. Uh, man, he looked. He, I, I, I hate to say it, man. He did not look good last night. It was not his best game. And if you're a Howard fan or you watch Howard at, at all, Quentin Williams is going to have to play a million times better than he did last night or Howard is in major trouble. And they, I, I believe they play Hampton next week, if I'm not mistaken. That is, um, that is a must win for them. And that is a game Quentin Williams is going to have to come prepared for. Now, he has some good plays where he got out of the pocket and, and made some plays in the open field, but it just seemed like he was a step behind everybody else. Like, the, like he was having trouble reading and he was having trouble executing certain things that um, Howard was trying to run. So for me, I, I think Quentin Williams last night really hurt this offense because they could run the ball well. The offensive line was doing a solid job and it was one guy, one or two guys on the offensive line and the quarterback, and you saw how much it impacted the entire offense. Now, at the wide receiver spot, Richie, um, I believe it's Elarza, I think is how you say it. He's he tied the Miak Swack Challenge record last night with seven catches last night for 36 yards, but they were not able to get Anton Murray into the game, and that that is a guy who led this team in receiving was their number one. Um, receiving touchdown leader last season Ailey got targeted six times so <clears throat> I, I don't think that's enough Casey Hawthorne zero catches last night even though he, he was the leading rusher those two guys are too athletic to only get what a, a combined eight targets for um the entire game and I understand that the quarterback didn't play well and that plays into it those guys need more touches Regardless of how you get them those touches, you have to get them the ball in open field. Whether whether that screen passes, jet sweeps, putting them in the backfield, like a Debo Samuel, just get them the football, man. That's it. Like get them the football. Every time you get got Casey Howard into open space on a on a jet sweep or whatever, man, he had four carries for 39 yards, averaged almost 10 yards per carry, and has some explosive plays from that. Get them in open space and let them make plays. That, that that's it. And that's something they didn't do. And on the defensive side of the football, man, um, one of the guys that really stood out to me and and I tweeted about him, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, mid-game, um, 
I was I was really impressed with them. Kenny Gallup. Look, Kenny Gallup is a problem for that Howard defense. And I know people are going to trash the defense, man. I didn't think the defense played a bad game. And the one corner I, I want to let y'all know, because you know, we had the official depth charts in the in the press box. The corner that got burnt on the two big plays was not even on the two deep they gave us in the press box. I don't know if the starting two corners got hurt. I don't know if they what happened, but they were not out there on those plays. And the guy who was not listed on the two deep got absolutely destroyed on those two big plays, especially the Crawley play where he just, I don't know what he was looking at. The wide receiver got behind them and they made a great play. So I don't think the whole defense played bad, man. And, you know, for Broken Burn, that defensive line, I thought they did just fine against the run for the most part. It was just, man, D Davis is just that good escaping pressure. I don't. I, I think I, I really don't think Howard's defense played a bad game. I, and I know some people will disagree with me, but man, Gallup eight tackles, a sack, two tackles for loss, and was everywhere, man. And, and we were talking, me and G from Draft HBCU, man, he was out there looking like Jabril Peppers, man. He was everywhere, man, everywhere. And I, I really like Gallup. He was an All Miac selection for um for us on the website. Kenny Gallup had a big game. Um. And when you look at Jevin Jackson, he won the um, he won the MVP for Howard. You know, I'll say this: I I voted for um, Kenny Gallup to get the MVP, but um, it, they didn't give it to him. Jevin Jackson got it: six total tackles, uh, one and a half tackles for loss, and he was the he was credited with the block punt and the recovery. So I think that's kind of what um, what put him over the edge, but. I still think, man, Kenny Gallup was the best player on the field last night for Howard on either side of the football. I really do think Kenny Gallup's that good. It's just, man, that he they just had – when you look at the game, man, they were probably – you could probably count the number of plays, probably seven, eight plays where that's where Alabama State made their money, man, and they were just explosive plays that Howard was not able to create. Howard had to drive the field slowly and be efficient, and that's something that Quentin Williams couldn't do. And Alabama State, when they had those explosive plays, were were able to capitalize in the red zone. They were able to hit the field goals, and they were able to convert on red zone opportunities, and that was the difference in the game ultimately with Howard and – Howard and Alabama State. And I hate, I hate for the fact that that game had to be called really and truly. Uh, that I, I, I understand for safety and I understand that it was almost two o'clock in the morning, but you, you got to feel for him, man, because two minutes is a long time in a very important game. And to have the football in scoring position and a little bit of the momentum was shifting back to Howard. To not have that opportunity to finish the game out, man, I know was soul crushing because it wasn't a situation like Jacksonville State, Stephen F. Austin, where that game was over. But uh, I, I just, you know, I, I really, really hate that they didn't get to finish that game. But it was a great experience, man. Listen, um, I want to, I want to give a shout out to Michelle Jinx, who is over, who is over the Celebration Bowl and the Miac Swag Challenge, man. I got to meet her in person finally. She's been really, really helpful behind the scenes, and we got, and I've been talking to her. We got some. Great. I, she's going to allow me to do some awesome things at the Celebration Bowl this year. And I'm really, really excited, man. I want to give a big shout out to her because uh, being an independent, you know, trying to up and come media organization is really tough sometimes with some of these SIDs kind of getting, you know, being difficult. And for her to um, really help us with everything, I want to give a major shout out to Michelle Jinx, man. She, she's awesome. Um, definitely want to give a big shout out to her. 
shout out to Raw Truth. Alabama State's wide receiving core is a track team. That's how fast they are. Once that gets offense gets comfortable, look out. I want to say this. Um, you know, Jeremiah Hickson was the top returner, man. He really didn't have a major impact. Um, if I'm looking at the box score here, man, he had two catches for 13 yards. Um, two catches for 13 yards. And the one guy who I want to give a big shout out to is um man, Levante Chenault's legit. I, I will say that he was a guy who I was really excited to see if he could live up because we, we know who his brother is and we know what his brother achieved at the college level and now is in the NFL. I, I was impressed that uh, uh, we were sitting in the press box. And when he released on that deep pass that D Davis hit him on, as soon as he got past the DB, I was like, he throw it, just throw it. And when he, when he launched it, he went up and made a play, and I, I was extremely impressed, man. He had three catches for 44 yards, targeted four times. If if this team could start getting get rolling, like like uh like DJ said here, this this offense has a lot of potential. And I I want to give a shout out to Isaiah Scott too. He's a guy who I don't think many people talked about coming into this game, but man, he led the team in receptions four four catches for 83 yards, had a touchdown 47 yards after catch two. I mean, I, I was impressed with with the wide receiving core. The offense looked looked good, honestly, and so I'm I'm interested to see. But you know, I've I've heard some people say, you know, the game wasn't really close. The game wasn't good, and and everything like that. Man, I thought this game was extremely close. I thought that I thought this was um it it was a gr- it was a great chance to see where both of these teams stand. I think both teams had an opportunity to um to really win this game and Alabama state capitalized on those and, and Howard didn't. If I, like I said, if Howard converts on those three, four opportunities they had in Alabama state territory, I mean, I, I think they, I think the game potentially could have looked a lot different, but like, like you say, man, you got to execute in those uh, situations and I'm hoping Larry Scott and Howard are able to correct that. And I'm really hoping um, Quentin Williams, finds a way to improve what happened last night. And I really do think he's a better quarterback than he showed last night. Last night was just, was a really, really bad performance um, to start the season. In my opinion, I I thought, um, I definitely thought he could have played better. I'll, I'll put that in there, but man, I got to catch up on these comments, man. Lord, y'all have been, uh, <laughs> y'all been going crazy. The only thing that looked good from Howard was the Jordan pullover shirt. They wore on the sideline. <laughs> oh, Mr. Campbell, man. Um, I hate games with wasted opportunities. That's what I'm saying. There were there were so many times in the press box, especially that time they got to like it was like the two or three yard line. Man, you're running the ball. Yeah, at that time they were averaging like five yards per carry. Because we we get the live stats in the press box, man. I love it. Now, shout out shout out to the Miax Black Challenge, man. Those live stats hit different, but they were averaging like five yards per carry. They get all the way down to the two or three yard line, and then you can't. What are you doing? You can't punch the ball in. You got you got a guy who's 6'8", 340. Run that ball right behind him and get to the end zone. There were too many times they tried to be cute and go outside. Run it off your biggest player and your best offensive lineman and let him go make a play. Just like the 49ers when they would run behind Trent Williams. Run behind your best offensive lineman, man. It was so frustrating to me how they would get all the way down doing one thing and then just switch it up in the red zone. It it just kills me, man. That that we that we saw that. Um, Eden James played well. He I don't think he, he didn't get a lot of action. I believe. Um, let me let me double check. I think he had five carries. 
um, all game, but I mean, he, he played all right. He had five carries for 15 yards, about three yards per carry. He runs. I, I love his running style, but I think, man, with the first game and how deep Howard's um, running back room was, plus they use Hawthorne a lot in the run game. I just don't think uh, – I, I just don't think he uh, had an opportunity to really get the amount of touches that he wanted uh, for an experienced senior quarterback. He was below subpar last night. I agree. He has to play better in that situation. You you can't come out. Um, you can't come out and play that. Now you can play like that. You had to play better last night. And if he plays just a <clears throat> just a little bit better. It's completely different. A, a completely different game. If Quentin Williams comes out and just plays average. Keenan Isaac played a great game, Jay. I appreciate I, I, that. Is true. Let's see. Like Hurt Street said, the president, AD, and head coach all have all have to be in alignment to be successful. Man, get the likes up. Get the likes up, man. Hey, appreciate y'all tuning in, man. Um, let's see. I'm so I'm so glad football's back because it's a lot of talking that ends week by week. <laughs> man, I'm just glad football's on. I was so tired of talking. Uh, I was so tired of talking all season storylines. I just wanted to actually talk about some football, and I, I, I'm extremely excited for Week One. There's a lot of big games. Bama State should have run that clock now more when they had the ball last. I agree. They should have chewed the clock a lot more, and they really left a lot of time on the clock. Florida A&M will beat Jackson State. Ooh, mm. the Miac won't win a single game against the SWAC this season. Now that's a bold prediction, RJ. We'll see if that one comes true. Zoe did listen on uh, on Ken Clark's show. Uh, listen, Zoe picked Alabama State to finish third in the East. Just gonna let y'all know, Alabama State was picked third in the East by Zoe. So that that's a bold prediction, man. But it, hey, they they started out one and zero. You never know. A four and one Bama start. Uh, Bama State start looks real. Their defense is legit. The linebacker secondary levels, and they have a sense of fluidity and identity as a spread power rush football team. Man, um, I agree. Listen, if they can, uh, if they can find a way to get D. Davis just a little bit more comfortable making plays, this this offense is going to hit another level. And I, I, after the game, he was talking in the hallway before the interview, and um, I, I one of the announcers from the game was going up to him, giving him props, and he was saying, "Man, that wasn't anything." He was like, "I still didn't play extremely well." He said, "That's not even half of what I can really do." And he's looking to even improve on his performance. So I think even D. Davis said that he can take a big step forward in what he's doing. And so if he takes a big step forward and that defense keeps rolling like they are, man, Bama State could be scary down the down the road. Um, don't get hype off of beating my bison. Both teams gave it away. Alabama State just finally took it. I would love to see Jackson State come into Miami as the underdog. <laughs> Alabama State had the better quarterback, and that was the difference. Um, Howard's quarterback couldn't start at Bowie State. Good Lord, man. Um, have you talked about uh, FAMU? Yeah, I talked about them um, a little bit earlier. And uh, it, like I said, man, Willie Simmons made a bunch of money, and he deserves so much credit for getting that team ready. And those players and that coaching staff deserve a lot of credit for not allowing all the outside noise and allowing all the adversity to really impact their play on the field. They did an excellent job uh, going out there and executing at a high level and making plays in some sort of capacity. And so I was really impressed with FAMU Roosevelt. Now, I don't know how well it will transfer to 
in conference play because the game plans are going to get a bit more complex. The defenses are going to get a bit more aggressive. Same with the offensive game plans. But I think it was a great start, and it was a great opportunity to see exactly how FAMU responds to adversity. So even if they get down early, even if they experience some adversity in-game, now that we know that they can handle that and still perform well, that's going to be a big thing moving forward throughout the season. Uh, let's see, FAMU ain't beating nothing, but oh my lord, man. You've heard it here first. Andrew Body will go for 400 yards against PV. So let, let's let's talk. Let's get a little week one preview in here, man. I'm excited for week one. So comment, comment, give me like y'all's top two, three games y'all are looking forward to next week at the FCS level, man. Um what are y'all looking for? So in case you guys don't know, I or didn't tune in earlier, I'm going to be in Lorman for Alcorn State versus Stephen F. Austin. I'm getting in um, either either late Friday or early, early Saturday. And um, hopefully I will be, uh, based on what I've been told, we'll, we'll get to have some on-the-field coverage, some videos, some some pictures, everything like that. So we're going to try to do it big for Alcorn State, Stephen F. Austin. And depending – listen <laughs> – all corn state, please. Can we, can we can we just build a dome real quick? Because I would really appreciate no more weather delays. We will do a post game after that game, as long as the game doesn't end at like two a.m. like this weekend. Man, I was gonna I was gonna do a whole post game. I had thumbnails made. I had everything. I, I was I was taking notes for the show. And then as the weather's delay kept coming on, man, and I looked at, and I got back to my hotel and it was almost, it was like three o'clock in the morning. I was like, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to tune in at 3 a.m. So I'm really, really hoping that um, the game does not uh, go that late. And I'm sure G and Swack and a full are, are thinking the same thing. I will be upset. Week zero down, week one next week. I'm, I'm praying chaos all season. Well, <laughs> Man, I, I really want to see some F, um, FCS over FBS um, upsets. Let's see. Lawrence said he's looking forward to Kennesaw State at Sanford, Monmouth at New Hampshire, and Western Illinois at UT Martin. All good games. Uh, Lawrence, man, I, I think that Kennesaw-Sanford game might get out of hand early. I'm just going to put that out there. And I, I'm interested to see how Monmouth does in their first game in the CAA as well. So I, I like all those games. Now, I don't know I, I, I don't know how close that Western Illinois-UT Martin game is going to be, but uh, that is an interesting game. Swack and a Fool said Braves by four. <coughs> I, I like it. Braves by four. Allcorn, Stephen F. Austin. The OBC is the only game that matters. Good Lord, man. All eyes on Jeremy Musa, Stephen F. Austin, Alcorn State, PV, Texas Southern. <coughs> Excuse me, man. Let's see. UAPB, Alabama A&M. Justin, no one's excited for the Southern game. Nobody. Listen, nobody is excited for the Southern game. Who are you guys playing? Is it the Virginia Lynchburg game or is it the other uh, these two? <clears throat> you you got to take the Southern game off there, Justin. The other two I can get behind, but it's not happening. Alabama AM might beat UAB. I don't like that matchup, Roby, but I will be rooting, man. I always root for FCS teams, regardless of who they are. <clears throat> it's always FCS over FBS, unless it's Auburn. Sorry, Mercer. Can't root for you next week. I see ACC refs still miss a lot of calls. <laughs> 
multiple tropical stores in the Gulf of Mexico. Man, Edwin, man, you can't ruin the vibe like that. You cannot ruin the vibe, man. I will be so pissed if that game doesn't end until like 2 o'clock in the morning trying to drive four hours back to Mobile. Corey Johnson said, JSU, FAMU, but Sunday <clears throat> is important if FAMU can get those young men on the field. Then, of course, I want to see the new look uh, Valley travel to Tarleton. Now, Corey, that's a good one. Listen, Mississippi Valley State to tar- uh, traveling to Tarleton State is a game I'm very, very interested to see. Um, so Tarleton State, they uh, Stephen Duncan was the quarterback last year, transferred from Western Kentucky, man. All-conference guy was a stud, holds some records at Tarleton had a chance to but he got a job offer he steps away late this offseason they have a qb battle going on they have four-star bo kelly in that i think he's probably the favorite but tarleton's gonna have a new quarterback and entirely revamp wide receiving core this is a chance for valley to really get a big out of conference win against a really good whack team this year stephen f Austin, alcorn state tsu versus pv valley and tarleton I want to see body ball Musa or if Musa was a uh, fluke or overreaction. I said family was surprised as they did. I just know you're at your best when you're in the midst of adversity. I like that. Ooh, Aggie Eagle classic, JSU family, Tennessee state, Eastern Washington, all great picks, man. Um, that, that Aggie Eagle classic is going to be good, man. I, I really, um, I really am interested to see, um, that game, I, I want to see because listen, they both have high expectations. As central as it is, central as legit as as I think, and some other people think, and is North Carolina A and T really ready to go out there and win the Big South and compete in the playoffs? There are going to be a lot of questions answered Week One in that Aggie Eagle Classic. I agree, Jacoby. Man, uh, Davis was one of the best athletes out there. Is there an official list of players? <clears throat> no, there's not an official list of players that I know of. Or because um, the NCAA process doesn't have a um, – they don't have like a set time for how long this has worked out. So I, I don't have an update on that right now. FAMU, JSU, Alcorn, Stephen F. Austin, Texas Southern uh, <clears throat> versus PV. Mm, let's see. So this week – let me pull up the schedule real quick. So this week, Ray – let me look through and just see if there's any that pop out. Then I'll give you some that I don't think are this weekend, but could be coming uh, down the pipeline. Uh, let's see. Eastern Kentucky, Eastern Michigan, Ray, is going to be interesting Friday night. That could be one to look for. Um, any team that plays Kansas is a potential. So even though Tennessee Tech might not be the best team, any team playing Kansas is a problem. Um, South Dakota, Kansas State's an interesting one, too. Uh, they almost pulled the upset when I was a grad student there, so that could be a game that could be interesting. Uh, Central Connecticut, UConn is also a good pick, man. UConn is – they lost this weekend uh, as well. Central Connecticut could pull the upset there. Now, South Dakota State, I was another one to watch, Ray, but I also do like Delaware Navy this week, too. I think those are some games that you probably could look for to be potential FCS over FBS upsets just personally. But listen, the number one game everyone's looking towards that North Dakota-Arizona game week three. I think it's the 17th. That's the game that I think almost everyone thinks is going to be a guaranteed FCS over FBS win. Uh, is Jacksonville State really that good or Stephen F. Austin not as good as we thought they were? Um, we're going to find out this weekend, Mario. 
I, th I think a lot of people are wondering whether that 85 scholarships played that much of an impact this weekend and how much of impact Rich Rod made. But I would say it's a little bit of both right now. I think Stephen F. Austin could have just been a little bit overhyped right now and has some early season struggles, while Jacksonville State was probably just completely overlooked and, over and, and underrated coming into the season. So I think it's somewhere in the middle. But right now I believe that Jacksonville State's just a lot better than we thought they were. You won't make it to your hotel till 5 a.m. if you get in a rain today, a rain delay like last night's game in Lorman. Oh man, Black Pal, I'm gonna need you to come pick me up, man. I'm gonna need you. I'm gonna need that private flight from Lorman back to Mobile, man. If, if that happens, yes, I think Kennesaw State is going to beat Sanford handily, and I think they're going to run very, very, um, um, extremely efficiently over them. T. Um, South Carolina State UCF is also this weekend. I forgot about that one. That's a game that you probably should watch as well. Southern plays a D2, D2 team, um, if I'm not mistaken. Morgan State, Georgia State, to see what Coach Wilson is cooking up. Now, that is a team, man, listen, um, that is a team that I'm excited excited to see. Now, um, I know Jacoby knows this. They landed a four-star, um, Jordan Tolls from LSU. He's from the, he's from the uh, PG area. And he comes back home to play for Morgan State and really bolster that secondary. And we already know what that defensive staff can do uh, under uh, Coach Wilson. Morgan State is going to be interesting these next few years. I'm, I am interested to see how they match up Jacoby. I don't know if they're ready to pull the upset, but if they can just look good, we can see some upsets this year in MEAC play. Man, I am. Some of these comments, <laughs> some of these comments, Ms. Body. Jacksonville State is going good. They've been for a while. And I, <laughs> G said they're playing an NAIA team. Jesus Christ! Unless it's unless it's Auburn, probably though. Yeah, uh, Ray, I, I I I'm trying to catch up on the comments. It's North Dakota State, Arizona for sure. Any update on on the FAMU? I, no updates yet, DJ. I heard it could be one week i heard it could be one week i heard it could be four i heard it could be the season i think we're going to know more at the coach's call on monday when uh willie simmons speaks to the media yeah man listen i don't uh, I, I i was born in bama i just went to k-state for grad school man i don't have the same connection for them so I, i'm really i really don't claim you know a k-state and i wear like one k-state shirt and that's about it Let's see. I'll be at the OBC game, but I'm excited for the Stephen F. Austin Alcorn game in Tennessee State, Eastern Washington. <clears throat> Let's see. Aggie Eagle Classic, Central's to MEX, Dark Horse. That Alcorn State versus Stephen F. Austin and the Jackson Family games are going to be big. Yeah, we're previewing both of those here, man. Oh, come on, man. Listen, if Southern doesn't win that game by 45, they're going to get roasted on the channel. Just that, <clears throat> that's what we're doing. Marshall, Mercer will shock Auburn, new quarterback and coach on the hot seat. Courtney, I don't appreciate that, man. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to like time you out for five minutes after that comment, man. You better book a room in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Jacoby, I think he's eligible now because I think that that one-time transfer rule. So I think he can play now or this season at least. I don't know if he'll play since he just transferred, but I think he can still play this season. Didn't Florida Memorial just beat EWC? Put some respect. <laughs> uh, Decane and Youngstown State. I like Decane. Now, that would be a huge upset, Lawrence. If Decane pulls off the upset over Youngstown, that would be huge. And listen, I love their offense. Their offense has some explosiveness. That's an interesting upset pick. I, I don't mind that. 
I think Southern is playing a loop. They're I think they're playing. I think Southern's playing Southern Lab, if I'm not mistaken, Sonic Boom. I think they're playing Southern Lab High School, personally. South Carolina State, UCF, South Dakota State, Iowa, and the OBC. I may I may have to uh, edge Texas Southern PV off my off my list for the Aggie Eagle Classic. Hope the MEAC goes <laughs> oh and all and come on, man. Sonic, but are we are we hating on the MEAC that much in the comments today, man? That is crazy. Definitely hit the like button, man. Appreciate y'all tuning in. Number nine, <clears throat> Southern Illinois at number 14, UIW. That is true. That's probably the game of the week right now, Lawrence. With with the issues going on at FAMU, and that's going to be a hell of a game to see if um incarnate word can replace Cameron Ward at the quarterback spot. And uh GJ, um, yeah, GJ uh Kenny can win that opening game. And incarnate word. If they pull that one off, man, they are jumping real high in the standings. That would be a huge win for the Southland, too. My son plays for Navy. Go Navy. Beat Army. Uh, Jacksonville State plays Tulsa next week. <clears throat> uh, I spoke a little bit about it, sir. I, I want to see how Mercer matches up, man. They had a huge win this weekend. They they, they won 63 to something um, over Moorhead State this week. So I, I think it will be close early. We'll see what Auburn looks like, man. I, I try to uh, – you know, be unbiased here. I, th I think Auburn wins somewhere in between 20 and 30, most likely. Jacksonville State looks damn good. I agree. Jacksonville State looked great. Better wide receiving core, JSU or UNC. Um, hmm. 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 um I think in terms of depth, I, really and truly, I, I think in terms of depth, JSU, if I had to pick the best wide receiver, just overall is Josh Downs. So I think I think UNC has the best overall wide receiver. I do think JSU might be a little bit deeper, though, at the wide receiver spot. North Dakota and Nebraska play in uh, September. I think Kennesaw can beat Jacksonville State. Yeah, he's from Baltimore. Um, the MEAC was 2-4 and four against the SWAC in 2021. Had, uh, S, uh, South, South Carolina State has two of the losses and one of the wins. What's the status of Travis? I heard he's playing. I don't think there's any issue with Travis. Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, what I was told is he's fine. So we'll see, I guess, when the um, OBC gets here. I heard it was three to four. I think it may have been more, but they said three to four. But we'll see when uh, the season kind of plays out. Uh, Central's not a dark horse. They are for real. Um. Nicholas, I um already I already broke it down. Um, it's one of the I think I don't remember what time mark it is, but um I went through the whole game. I think uh, my biggest takeaways just to kind of recap for you: uh, D. Davis legit in terms of pocket presence and making plays with his feet and being able to keep his eyes downfield. Ja'Cory Merritt did a great job running the football. I really like his run style, and him and D could be a great one-two combo out of the backfield. Alabama State's new transfer transfer wide receivers delivered. For um, Earshot Davis and Bubba, legit as well. The one question I have is defensive line for them. For Howard, Kenny Gallup is a monster on the defensive side of the football. I felt like the defense gave their offense every opportunity to win the game, but Quentin Williams and some of the play calling really prevented them from doing that. So that's kind of a recap, but if you just rewind the show a little bit, I go all the way into it and talk all my takeaways and, and breakdowns of what I saw. Say go Navy. Florida Memorial. Uh, Florida Memorial has an LSU transfer and a team of FAMU transfers. Like and share for sure, man. Let's see. Uh, what's your thoughts on Fordham? 
I think Fordham's good. Uh, Tim uh, Demorat at quarterback is really good. I think they're a step behind. Um, they're a step behind Holy Cross, but I do think they have a really good shot to compete at the top. I can see them having another solid season, man. But it's just going to be so hard to overcome Holy Cross, man. They return so much talent, and I think they had like fourteen All Conference selections. So I think Fordham's the second best team right now. But man, to get above Holy Cross is going to be really, really tough. But I think Fordham is probably the second best team in that conference right now. Uh, not going to the OBC, man. I'm going to Alcorn State, Stephen F. Austin. Um, UIW has a good QB, Candy Williams. Yeah, I know he's behind um, Lindsey Scott, uh, the transfer from Nickel State. So I think he's going to – I think Williams is the guy of the future, but they're probably going to go with Lindsey Scott at the quarterback spot. How we're putting up yards and not scoring is par for the course. <laughs> that, there you go. He said not shocking at all. Um. I heard I'm hearing that Savion Wilkerson uh, for JSU is the real deal. I heard that too, man. Um, I've heard Savion has really established himself as the top running back for Jackson State right now, and we'll see what the rotation is. But I, like I said, I thought Savion was the best back because of his ability to be a factor in the passing game, and that is a big thing that Jackson State is going to want to do. Um, especially because they're going to come out and put a lot of wide receivers and they want to put the ball in their best player on offense's hands, which is probably right now Shador. And um, I, I think for a running back to get enough touches, you're going to have to be able to be a factor in the pass game. And that's what Savion can do. And I think when you look at what he did at um, Delaware State, I mean, man, he was one of the best players out there. So I, I'm not surprised he separated himself due to his experience either. Um, let's see. Um, can FAMU be held liable for negligence legally if players want to take um, action? Um, okay, so I don't like to speak on things I don't know. I do not know. Um, maybe I mean, if anyone wants to call in and and, and give their and, and give their opinion, or if they know, like any lawyers or anyone who knows anything about that, can. But for me, I don't know, man, and I'm not going to speculate on that. I do know that. Um, I mean, I hope they're held accountable in terms of job security wise, but I don't know if there's any um, legal actions the players can take. So I'm not going to speak on that because I just I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if you already talked about this, but FAMU's offense looks very promising um, under Musa, especially if they can clean up the turnover margin that was costly against UNC. Uh, he, he's got a lot of potential, man. There were a few throws. Listen, Storm Doug dropped a potential pick six early in that game, too. He's got to be a little bit better on some of those reads, a little bit quicker and more efficient. But I think for the first game, of him starting at quarterback, he was just fine, man. I think it's a great, uh, it's a great game to uh, build, build upon. Savion is a monster. He's a bully with the ball. And I love running backs like that. I absolutely love running backs that are going to go out there and be physical because you want to bring the physicality to the defender and not the other way around. And so I love it, man. HPC Miak in the chat now, not you. <laughs> Tiger Talk Podcast said they had a had a players only episode and Aubrey said Wilkerson is a beast. I'm not surprised, man. So Mr. G said, maybe in some cases, but each student's case may be different. There are some scenarios that it can potentially warrant it. So there you go. That's the, that's the, that's the legality issue. Let's see, 3828 JSU. Let's get it, Swat family. How can FAMU be ne negligent when it's the player's responsibility? Also, so, okay. <clears throat> you know, I... 
I, I didn't I didn't do an episode on this. I, I was busy traveling and, and things like that, so I, I didn't have a chance to uh, make a make a real episode. That's why I kind of talked about it earlier. But uh, like, there's 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 blame all around, and um, the one thing I'll say though is when when you're in college, even if it's even if it's your if it's your responsibility to kind of double check, you are under the impression coming into college that the one person you can trust to keep you on the right track, give, give your, um, give your advice to make the proper decisions involving class scheduling, involving degree progress and things uh, that you might not completely understand. The one person you're led to believe you can trust is your academic advisor. And, the fact that there are reports out there that the advisors that were working with the athletes were not giving them the correct advice and not giving them the proper time and effort and consideration in their decision-making, man, I, I don't put as much blame on the players as some people do just because and if you're led to believe that, hey, if you have any questions, if you have any doubts, go to this person, ask them. And what they tell you is supposed to be valid information um, it, moving forward. And, and that's how you can pr progress your college or academic career. The fact that they were getting bad advice and put in the, um, you know, put in the bad uh, put in a bad spot man that's completely different and so you know based on the information i got and the information that from valid sources that i've heard the fact that the advisors were putting them in wrong classes and giving them bad advice man i don't think you can put as much blame on the players as some people are and that's just my opinion because i've been i i've been in college twice man i, I was an undergraduate at auburn i was i was a graduate student at k-state man and if my and there was times where i wasn't sure what class to take or this is what I want to do with my career, man. I, I want to get into this career field. I want to make sure I have this GPA. I need to do this, this, and this. And if my advisor was giving me bad advice, I might not end up where I was today. So, I don't put, um, I don't put a lot of, I, I don't put a lot of blame on the players, man. I feel so bad for them. And like I said, um, on on social media, and like I said, um, in the Twitter spaces and on K Ken Clark's podcast, man, I, my heart and my frustration goes out to those players, man, because, uh. I, I I just I just couldn't imagine if I was in that situation and um, I was given some bad advice and then I wasn't able to go out there and make money and play the game that um, I wanted to play. So uh, I, I think it I think it's a double edged sword on that, man. And yeah, that's what I was saying. Everyone has that horror story where an advisor leads you in the wrong direction, man. So I, I don't I, I think it's you got to be very careful placing blame. And that's why I kind of. Decided not to make an episode. Plus, I was traveling, so I think it, you you got to look at both sides of the coin. Um, is that because listen, it costs land a lot of money potentially. Yeah, Larry, man, listen, call lines are open, man. It's in the top. The number is like right here, and so yeah, you can call in if you want, man. Uh, let's see. There was a question here: the Citadel and Campbell Thursday can Campbell can Campbell stop the option potentially, man. Um, it's going to be a great test. I'm excited to see Brevin Allen and Tillman against that offense. I'm I'm re really really excited, man. Uh, let's see. I think we got uh, Coach Green calling here, man. So listen, when I pull them up, let me know if you let me know if you can hear them. Yeah, I think you got uh, Coach Green. You're live, man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Hey, um, you, you did you did right not to talk about it because it's because I deal with compliance and it's a lot to it. Yeah. Because you know, as far as like the compliance office, everything is pretty much black and white. What they got to put in because uh, I know we NAI, so it's basically the same. You know, we it's similar eligibility center is similar to the NCAA eligibility center. Yeah. So it's it's hard to say who black because you could probably put it on both because if you declare a major, you sh- did you get a need sheet when you was in college? Uh, so what we were given, like we were given a suggested uh, curriculum path. So it's like you should take these classes in these semesters. But it was suggested mm-hmm. it's like if you took more credits than were suggested or you took summer classes, it could change. But we were given a list of classes that were required, a, a list of suggested electives. And then before I could register for classes every semester, I, I was required to meet with my academic advisor to give me the password mm-hmm. to sign up for classes to make sure I was on the right path and I wasn't getting behind. And for me, you know, I wasn't a high level athlete like an Isaiah land. People forget these athletes are not the normal students, man. They take on such a bigger load that if you're mm-hmm. told you can trust your advisor, you should be able to trust your advisor. And that's where I stand on it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I do, I, I'm going to do like you. I'm going to put the blame on both sides, like both sides pretty much get the same amount of blame because because the student athlete got to do their part too. Yeah. I, I completely you know, agree. Because that – yeah, that's a, that's a hard story to even pick a side on. You know, because you you got to have – you know, that, you know over, when I was – you know, I attended Russ, we got a knee sheet. We call it a knee sheet, and I pretty much had – Everything that I need to take to graduate on that. Yeah. And I was able to mark off what I already took, plus the classes I took at JUCO, so I had to re so I don't want to retake in certain classes. You know, this so. story this story blew up because of mm-hmm. the way it happened. If this happens yeah. two months ago and they have time to fix it, no one talks about it. But the fact that they were on the bus going to the plane to leave, that's why it became mm-hmm. so big. Because I talked to a parent of a JSU mm-hmm. player when this came out. He said people almost forget this is exactly what happened to Jackson State in the spring season. There's a reason yeah. that Shiloh, Co- Coinus, Shador, all these other players in the spring for Jackson State couldn't play for the same reason. Progress to degree and also Jackson mm-hmm. State not accepting some transfer credits. And he said the reason mm-hmm. that no one talks about it with Jackson State is because they got lucky the spring season really didn't matter and they were able to handle it behind the scenes and it didn't happen on a public, I would say, on the bus where it became an ESPN story. So I just mm-hmm. think the way it happened for FAMU was very, very unfortunate. Yeah. Because because I can even say this, you know, because uh, dealing dealing with compliance. 
the easiest ones to handle is always the freshmen because they're coming straight from high school. The boogaboo are the hardest ones to meet are the transfer students. Because one thing, you know, dealing with, you know, the eligibility center, one thing they do, you, you cannot lie about where you what what schools you went to you didn't go to this school because everything is on that. Exactly. And and then you got to get all these transcripts. Say you attended three different schools. You got to get all three of them transcripts. You attend four different schools. You got to get all them transcripts. Yep. So that that's it, it's a lot to it. It was just it, it really upset me because I feel like one a bunch of people ran with the story and then it winds up on mm-hmm. ESPN and Sports Center and there's 19 Twitter spaces about it and there's a video about it and everyone has a story that's a little bit different and we still technically haven't heard from any of the players like Isaiah Land and BJ Bowler Mm -hmm. sent out a tweet today that they're trying to work to get eligible this week and Mm -hmm. I, I, I just feel like the coaching staff you know it was hard to talk about it because if you have that issue, you should be able to go handle it in house. Well, you didn't know you had an issue and now you're flying however many hours away to Chapel Hill and it's just kind of festering. So who got to stay behind and and pick up the pieces? It just, the timing could not have been worse for FAMU. And so I'm hoping that as many players that can be eligible next week as possible, they figure out a way to Mm -hmm. do that. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, yeah, I hate the way the story came out too, man. You know, I, I wish they could have handled it in house, but it was kind of hard because of the players that wound up being involved. Yeah, but I was happy they was able to get six of them players eligible, so they dropped it down to twenty by the time they went to North Carolina. I was happy about that part. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, also the fact, like Roosevelt said here, the fact that there's only one academic advisor for the entire mm-hmm. athletic department, man, that's that's unacceptable, man. And that's, that's they got to figure out that, a way to change and that, that. And yeah, because that right there makes it hard because you're dealing with all the sports, the volleyball season up. So you got to get the volleyball players straight. Then you got to turn around and get football. Football down there got 100 players. Mm hmm. And you got to deal with all the transfers plus the returners. Yeah. You know, just, so that, that's, that's tough. I don't think people understand how many advisors some of the top schools have. Like, um, Mm-mm. and that's, and that's why it comes back to funding and, and, and how HBCUs have been underfunded. Cause when I was, cause I was at K state for a grad student, to make more money, I was an athlete tutor. And mm-hmm. they have an entire staff of like 10 people that handle just football. Mm-hmm. It's an entire floor. There's an entire floor of the K-State Athletic Department dedicated wow. just for football players. Because yeah. uh, I think one, as far as in the swag, one of the one of the schools with the most is like Southern. They got four. Yeah, I think you guys and um, uh, I think it was one of the MEAC schools had four. Mm-hmm. And everybody else got two or one. Yeah. 
And I think Valley's starting to get their stuff straight because they brought in the guy that was under under the uh, AD at Jackson. So they helped them out a lot. Exactly. But yeah, that's why I, want, I wanted to say my piece on that as somebody that deals with compliance, you know, at my at my little school at Russell College. <laughs> I like it, man. Hey, well, I appreciate your call, Coach Green, man. All right, no problem. All right, Larry, coming to you. Larry, you're live. What's up, man? What's up, sir? So, first of all, Shout out to um, Coach Green, man. I, I always give him a hard time because he didn't <laughs> say all the things I like to hear him say about Sam <laughs> Hey, you know how he is, man. Coach Green, mm-hmm. Coach Green can uh, go back and forth with the best of them. Yes, he can. I, I love the brother. I love the competitiveness. But uh, as long as he's saying good things about Sam I'm, I'm going to leave him alone. <laughs> so – my thing is, um, I, I'm trying to put this in a, in a way. Like it hurt me when I heard that the young men didn't have an opportunity to participate because of some because of things outside of their control. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I really like. I don't know who it was, but somebody stated that when you when your AD leaves. Uh, he didn't just leave. He kind of takes some staff with him, right? And I love the example that you gave about how uh, at your university, I believe, I believe you said K-State, they had yeah. 10 people just dedicated to football. And, and it, that's called uh, – well, it's not called institutional control. It's more or less called organizational management, right? Uh, I, we need to make sure we have if, – if we can't do one for one, meaning one – person over compliance for each team, we need to at least be able to uh, move those resources around uh, depending on the season. So let's say I have five because having one is insane, right? But let's say I have five, then I need to have all five who are dedicated to volleyball and football, right? And then as we transition to basketball, those five go there or whatever sport is happening during that season, right? And I just can't believe that the associate AD or the interim AD uh, and the university didn't see something like this coming because I almost guaranteed that whoever that compliance person is, that one soul is, it's probably a sister because sisters be doing their work. She has raised the flag several times, several weeks, uh, several months saying, Hey, I need more people because there's a hundred people on the football team. And some of those people aren't football players. You got trainers, you got, uh, you know, people who do tutoring, like you said earlier. There's a lot of other pieces and parts. The equipment people, those could be students as well. You know, there's a lot of other pieces and parts to a football team that you don't see uh, outside of the players. Um, and, and, you know, even the, the, the students who are over in physical therapy, because FAMU has a top-notch physical therapy school who may be, quote-unquote, interning uh, and helping to maintain the, the bodies of the football players – we need to make sure those people are together and, and who's coordinating, you know, making sure that we have tutors like you were, uh, you know, helping the, uh, helping our young men. I mean, there's just a lot of organizational pieces that you need to be able to have your hands on. And, and I run a business, man. I'm constantly impressed that there are things that come up that I don't foresee. 
I wish my name was Isaiah. That way I'd be a, have a little profit thing going and I could kind of see, oh, this is going to happen next and I need to take care of this next. But some of this learning as you go, that's good for me. I started my business this year, 2022. But fam, you've been on, on the planet for over 150 years. Can we, can, we get, can we get some experience? Can we get some help? And pay for it. You know, Deion Sanders, pay the man. We need to pay whoever it is that we have uh, to do this and pay them well so they don't have to worry about whether they can put food on their um, table. They need to get the, the compliance work done and at the end of the day feel proud with the work they, they put together. And um, I'm sorry I went on a rant, but that's my school and that's my heart. Um, Sonic Boom, uh, he had some good comments in the chat. I can't see it now because it's scrolled up on me. But uh, we, we definitely – uh, need to um, handle our business uh, and we need to handle it in a way that it doesn't come become laundry for everybody else to read. Right. Um, and then the last thing, and, I, and I'll, I'll let you go. And this is really a question. Can you imagine what that score would have been if we had all of our people playing? That's the, I just want to throw that at you. I, I picked, I, pre, I picked us to win. Cause I always pick us to win. Cause I'm a fan, not an analyst like you and, and Scotty, but can you imagine how well we might have done that that game still might have been 56 to 35 or 56 to 42 but it would have been a lot more interesting game if we had all of our people uh there all right uh, I'll, I'll throw that at you oh and can you uh tell us based on what you saw if we have a chance in the jsu game thanks a lot brother hey for sure man i appreciate you um i think Yes, you have a shot. I, I think anyone has a shot. I, like I said, the Slack's too talented. Every week's going to be a game. It's just going to be difficult to see how this this performance translates to next week because, like I said, the game plan for Jackson State is going to be a lot more complex and a lot more aggressive. So how does Musa respond to more blitzes? to how did the wide receivers respond to some press coverage and, and facing some DBs who aren't just going to let them catch things underneath uncontested. And I just want to see how the O-line depth, I would say, goes through each week because it's one thing to get through this week's game and you only have two injuries. But what happens when you're banged up from the previous game and you got some wear and tear from practice and you don't have the the rotation if another person goes down to potentially rotate a few bodies in there. That's the major question mark for me is the depth on the defensive line and the offensive line. And the biggest thing for me is I just need to see who's coming back. If Lamb yeah. comes back, if Bowler comes back or, or whoever, that's going to be the biggest thing is – and my question, and, and this is what this is what I've been trying to get across, and I love Los J put it in here. How much did Gene Chiswick and UNC dial that defense back once mm -hmm. they knew all those players were out? That's a well, major, I noticed they didn't blitz. Exactly. That's a major question mark for me is how Musa is going to perform when JSU brings six or seven. And it's Aubrey Miller coming up the middle, Gaddy and um, whoever comes off the other edge, Devontae Davis, Katron um, at the D-tackle spot. I want to see how the defensive line and everything – the offensive line and everything responds to that. That's my biggest question, Mark. But I think the number one thing I took away from this weekend, Musa, 
has what it takes to be the leader of the offense. That's the biggest question mark, and he, and he checked that off for me. And then two, can the coaching staff get the team ready to play even in the worst circumstances of all time? And they got them ready to play, and they kept them motivated when no one in the entire country – really gave them a chance. Everyone thought that game was going to be a bloodbath. And FAMU yep. competed for two and a half quarters against the starters. And so, for me, A-plus game. And I think even if they would have started the graduate assistants in the second quarter, just based off mm-hmm. of what happened in the first quarter, that was an A-plus game for FAMU. Excellent. Well, well you tell my boy uh... – Cozy that I I picked Musa the whole time. I I I knew when I saw him in that spring game. I said, "Oh, it's over. McKay's not gonna gonna start." And he he just dogged me. He dogged me on the Afterglow show. But you know, I'm I'm gonna come to his house. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my grits and uh, get my shrimp and grits. Yeah, you tell him I'm coming for my my shrimp and grits. I'll bring some collard greens, but he better have my <laughs> shrimp and grits ready. Hey, but I will tell him. Appreciate you, Larry. So we got one more caller here, man. And then we'll kind of wrap the show up. Nine one two, you're live. Yo, Blue. What's up, man? Hey, man. I just wanted to kind of chime in on uh the the FAMU uh, advisory non-compliance issue. Um, so I played at Savannah State. Uh, this was a little while ago, uh, back in 05. And the first thing when I came in as a freshman, um, I got a, I think Coach Green called it like a needs list or uh, just a, a undeclared uh, major prerequisite list. Like mm-hmm. if you're an undeclared major, you have a list of classes that you could just primary start with. And yeah. then, fortunately, I kind of knew that I wanted to be like a business major. So, my advisor, the, the athletic advisor, said, okay, go to the College of Business and get the actual list for all the majors in the College of Business. So you can compare those prerequisites or classes that you need to, you know, make sure that you're on track, um, whether you're decided or undecided. But also introduce me to the advisor over the College of Business. So that was your two advisors. So you had your actual uh major advisor and then your athletic advisor now i'm not i can't remember if we only had one or maybe multiple uh athletic advisors but i kind of with you is on both the institution and the players but i put a little i lean a little bit more towards the institution just because they is ways to make sure that these kids are in 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 the uh, classes that they need and stuff like that but Again, if 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 you had a whole AD that kind of left and the the office probably was in shambles, so who knows? But that's kind of my little take on it. But I believe it's it is on both. But I still put a little bit on the, the administration. Hey, I agree, man. Hey, I appreciate your perspective, though, man. Thank you for calling in. No problem, man. I right, got one more caller here. 404, you're live. Hey, this is Mr. Forward. I wanted to answer uh, your question. You said, hold on, let me let me turn this TV down. 
Okay. You said, what do you do when Dion blitz uh, six and seven people? That's called two tight end uh, offenses. Or if not, uh, two tight ends, you come with a, two tight ends, you can come with a wing. Now, what you do is you kill them with what, what they call now two quick screen in or what we call in the seven is spot on the line. The other thing that you do to any blitzing team, wherever they blitz from, that's your hot route. Okay? Let me tell you something. Willie know what to do. Don't fool yourself. Willie Simmons know what to do now. Uh, now, now what, see, if you look at uh, Deion Sanders' background, Deion was trained by a guy named Jerry Glanville. You remember Jerry Glanville? Do you remember him, uh, Blue? Yeah. Okay. Jerry Glanville, when he was with the Falcons, he would sometimes blitz seven and eight players, and he wanted his outside, his corners, to play man-to-man. That's the same thing Dion with, uh, is doing. But see, what you do to him, you quick, you kill him with the two-step, no more than a two- or three-step drop, and you go with the uh, quick out, five yards out, the quick out route, the crossing patterns, tight end, quick pass, all of that will kill that blitzer now. But I just want you to know, Willie knows how to deal with that now. Willie knows how to deal with that. Oh, yeah. Uh, they'll have a game plan for it. Now, the, 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 what I was more mentioning with that is how Moose, uh, if they do get in the backfield, because we don't know what the O-line is going to look like, how does he respond to defenders in his face? Can he make the throw when Aubrey Miller's two steps away for putting that helmet in his chest? Because I don't think we saw that this, this past week. No, you didn't. You didn't. You did But let me just tell you, what you do, you've got to, like I said, wherever uh, Aubrey Blitz is from, that's where your hot route is. Whatever area he vacates, because you're right. What, what, now, what uh, he's going to do, he knows that uh, Musa is a drop-back quarterback. They're going to bring the pressure straight. Now, they're going to come from the edges, but the main pressure is going to come straight up the field because that's the quickest way to sack him, okay? But the thing that uh, Willie's going to do to him, Wherever he vacate, wherever he blitzes from, that's where he gonna get hit at. That's where he gonna hit. Now, Blue, let me ask you this question. I've been asking people, God, about you on the line. I was talking the other night. Sam Herder has made the statement that the FCS playoffs is a waste of time. I ain't heard you say nothing about that. Well, I, I've said on the show that money wise is a money pit. It is okay. okay, but the teams have no other option. I mean, really and truly. Because until the conferences allow a bowl game system at the FCS level, it's either you go and do that, or you injure or injure season in what the second weekend of no or no third weekend of November. And so for them, I, I think it's the only option they have, and it's because the NCAA refuses to put resources at the FCS level. And I think that's something that we both agree on is that the FCS doesn't care about the FCS level at all. It's P5, that's their moneymaker. Everyone else kind of yeah. gets the scraps. Because now you, now you heard that there's a movement in the Power 5 to stop all Power 5 schools from playing uh, FCS schools. Have you heard about that? Yeah. Um, last year, or it's really the past two or three years, there's been a lot of talks about conferences not allowing you to play FCS schools during the season and they want to move those games to spring jamboree games or spring scrimmages and a lot of the FCS ADs and commissioners are really trying to fight against it because they don't feel like it will it's even going to further the divide between the NFL and FCS players 
because none of the film's going to count. And so they don't want that yeah. to happen. And that's why that's been the big holdup. But I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But if the Power Five leaves the NCAA, like a lot of people think, I think yeah. it might be they, a only uh, matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. Because now, uh, one of the things they're saying now in the SEC is starting next year, they're going to play nine games in the conference. Have you heard about that? Yeah, they're going to have to. Either that or they're going to go to a pod system or something like that. Yeah, there's going a lot to of play things. Three, that's right. Three and, yeah. and three and nine, I think it is. Yeah. So there's a few options. I think they're kind of waiting. A lot of conferences are waiting on the just conference free alignment to kind of churn through and slow down. But I'm, I would rather see the pods, the pod system because I just don't think divisions work, especially when you get over 14 teams. It just becomes too much, and then you're going to have a, a situation where Texas A&M doesn't play South Carolina within like six, seven years just because it, the scheduling well, doesn't work they, out. That's, that's why they said they want nine games scheduled in the SEC to make sure everybody plays everybody within a two-year range. Because you're right, that's one of the things they were saying. If, if in the present system, a school like a South Carolina probably would never play an Oklahoma maybe in the, in the three- or four-year window. And they're saying if you go to nine games, that'll make sure that you can play uh, two – wait, if you go to nine games, you would play everybody in a two-year window. Yeah, you would have like your uh... – three every year games you would get like one rival game and then everyone else would rotate through so you would at least get everyone every two years and you would travel to everybody within four years if i if i believe i have the math right from the article i read about it yeah now let me say this and i'm gonna get ready to go now to all you fam you people that's listening to this show that was a great showing on saturday night but let me just say this you can't get around getting rid of uh, President Larry Robinson. He's your biggest enemy, not them teams in the swag. Your biggest enemy is in the president's office at Florida A&M. And until you get rid of him, you're not going to see them gates days. This man is going to hold you back. So I'm going to say this, and I'm going to close out. That President Larry Robinson, he don't care nothing about that school, and he definitely don't care nothing about that athletic department. So whether y'all sit around and skate around that situation, Okay, you you cannot move forward, Florida and him, until you replace that president. Blue, you have a good night. Have a good night, Mister Four. Appreciate you. All right, man. We close it down the call lines. But man, listen, week zero is in the books. Man, I had a blast covering the Swag Meak Challenge, and I'm really looking forward to week one, man. I, I, I all the games you guys listed. I'm really, really looking forward to, man. Um, if you're going to be in Alcorn, Lorman, this um, at the Alcorn State game in Lorman this upcoming weekend, man, definitely let me know. I'm going to be there all day long, man, covering everything. So definitely let me know. I'll make sure to um, – I'm looking forward to meet some of you guys, man. I've never been to Lorman before, and um, I'm really, really excited to see what a game on the reservation looks like. And I'm really, really hoping that game lives up to the potential hype that it, that, that it has coming in man listen this week's a big week um look uh we're we gonna have a we're gonna have a few fbs previews man there's a few fbs games i feel like i gotta cover man notre dame ohio state and some things like that we're gonna have a bunch of fcs previews and and um thursday night man we're trying to start these weekly shows man we had a great turnout tonight man we had uh, we had over 250 at one point in here um 
on this show, man, on a late Sunday night. So I definitely appreciate y'all, man, rocking with me. But every Thursday night and Sunday night, man, Sunday night we'll do the uh, recap for the FCS and we'll even talk some FPS if y'all want. Call lines will be open to get y'all's opinion. Thursday night we'll have a live call-in show to preview the FCS and even some of the FBS games if y'all want to talk about. And Saturday night I'm prom- I'm going to try to do a post-game show at Alcorn on campus after the game to get y'all's immediate reaction and everything like that, man. So I am extremely excited. There might even be a pregame show with my guy G from Swacking a Fool, man. So definitely, um, definitely tune in for that. Listen, um, if you haven't yet, head to our website. We got recaps of the Jacksonville State and the Miak Swack Challenge on our YouTube channel now, man. Go straight from this video and check out our in- our post game interview with Eddie Robinson Jr., head coach of Alabama State, and um, and the the Miak Swack Challenge MVP Demetrius Davis, man. Um, uh, great interviews. The noise in, in the background from D Davis is a little much, man. They were trying to pack up the locker room behind us, man, but I did the best to save the audio. I know all of us had that issue, but listen, guys, um, tune into all that, man. A lot of content coming down the pipeline, man. But until next time, the blue bloods are out. <laughs>